Here's Clark again. Oh, and through again he goes. He's got to Tutu with him. But it's Ioane, in fact. And Rico Ioane's going to score. What a brilliant play from Caleb Clark, and the Blues are in again. Then it back this near side for Vince Arso. Vince Arso gives it away to Umanga Jensen. And he's got it on the line. And that is a try. Pass. Oh, oh and welcome to the Counter Ruck, a podcast where we discuss all things rugby. I'm the host of the Counter Ruck, Stacey, so thanks for joining us for another episode. We're joined today by um, one of our regulars, uh, Roger from um, the mighty West Auckland, a white amount of rugby stalwart. Roger, thanks for jumping on us. Kia Right, thanks Roger, brother. It's always good to have you on um, there, my man. So I'll just take care of some housekeeping stuff. Uh, so check out our website, www.wizwiznet.com and don't forget to click the support us button on the page to keep the content flowing. And we also have some exclusive content available for our supporters, so definitely some additional benefits there. I'll also mention you can follow the Kanarak on Twitter and Facebook, so give us a follow and give us a like on there. Uh, Roger, we'll just get straight into it, mate. Um, some action-packed games over the weekend as Super Rugby starts to heat up a bit. But the obvious place to start, um, Wana Pacifica, pick up their first win of the season against the Canes. So I'll just get your thoughts, mate. What did you make of the game and what does that win mean for the well, I think it was a, a marvellous result for Wana Pacifica, their maiden season into Super Rugby. First time um, that a Pacifica franchise has played Super Rugby and it's been sort of the, the dream of, of many Rugby legends, including Brian Williams uh, and Sir Michael Jones, part of the background in, in relation to getting that team their birth in Super Rugby this year. So to get a result like that, I think they went, you know, they were expecting to not only make up the numbers in the in the competition this year, but also to try and make as big an impact and and cement a, you know the the more the reason as to why they've been left out for so long. And so to get a win over a well-established um, franchise like the Hurricanes is no mean feat. So um, it was a brilliant result. Their defense all night was was awesome. Obviously, people could say a little bit about the Hurricanes not playing their 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 best sort of lineup at the beginning, but you know they had some of the the heavy hitters come into the game towards the end of the game. But when they put on Danny. Twilight at the end there, I think um, I, I, I wasn't sure what the thinking was about not having him start the game because he's been one of the most impactful sort of players for Mona Pacifica since their um, introduction to the competition. So great to see him come on and make the impact that he did and for him to score that try. Um, just we were excited here in our lounge, me and my son, but I could see at the stadium as well. Just great to have a, a crowd there as well. And for them to be able to witness that live, um, the first ever super win for Mana Pacifica. So uh, I think it's been good in garnering a little bit more support, especially getting the restrictions dropping. Um, who, who knows what could happen on Tuesday night against the Blues? Yeah, good thoughts there, Roger. I agree with all of that. Um, yeah, I agree about Danny Tawala. He's been a surprise package. He hasn't played a lot of Super Rugby. He was with the Hurricanes for a bit. 
But I know they've got quite a, um, a lot of good young midfielders there. So he got pushed down the order a little bit. But once he's got his opportunity with Moana Pasifika, he's been awesome. And him and Omua together have got a really good combination. So he showed a quite good speed there to to get that last try. I know they've got another game tomorrow against the Blues. So that short turnaround might have meant maybe they held him back to potentially play him on. On Tuesday, I've got the team list here somewhere, so I, I might have to confirm that. But, uh, yeah, definitely good win. And I like that point you made earlier about, you know, a lot of people would have thought of Moana Pasifika and the Fijian Drua as a team that just there to sort of make up the numbers. But this win shows that they are legitimate. I thought that first game against the Crusaders, they were at least quite competitive as well. So they're not these the sort of guaranteed team that's going to be an easy beat like the Sunwolves. And, you know, when you look at, it took the Sunwolves 21 games to beat a sort of a non-expansion team, uh, which was the was Chiefs. Was it the Blues? The Blues, I think it, it was, was the, the Chiefs. Blues, it it was the Chiefs, it was, actually. <laughs> the Chiefs, uh, so Moana Pasifika and Fiji and Draw only took them three games to sort of get their first one, and that augurs well for the, the rest of the tournament. But just going back to the game, I talked about Omoa and the impact he's had. He had that yellow card. So I know in our chat and some of the stuff, there was a bit of controversy there. What we what are your thoughts, mate? I know you've still involved in the game at quite a, a decent level. That yellow card? No, I didn't think it was a yellow card because if it was a head on head, if they were making the tackle, then I can understand. But there's been many. There was something in the in the rugby league last night where I saw there was a head on collision from the ball carrier in the Manly Bulldogs game, and yet I guess it's different codes, but. I don't think there was anything uh, malicious and there was no intent for um, Le'Veon Moore to hit him with his head. But it was just the, the way that he's made a last-minute step to the left and causing Moore where he was trying to position his head for the tackle and there's been head heads collide there. Yet for a yellow card, like yeah, I don't know. If it was a head-high tackle, I can understand. But head-on-head, head, it wasn't like a shoulder or an arm connecting with the head. So... Yeah, I was a bit dumbfounded by that that ruling, and um, obviously it put uh, Mona Pasifika on the back foot, but just meant that you know, the team had to pick up and and try and um, and hold out the Hurricanes, which they did in the end, and it was their defense right 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 throughout. And I saw the frustration that was caused because of their defense uh, right throughout that game. Even um, Gibson, the old Blues player, playing at number seven. Uh, <laughs> He, he was getting frustrated. And then Xavier Numia, the prop, one of the, the starting prop for the Hurricanes, he, every time he ran, it seemed like I was expecting his figures to be in negative 105 or something like that because every time he, he got slammed back in the defense, it was always two or three tacklers pushing back um, each runner. And so that was awesome by the Monopus figure. So they garnered a lot. And especially how they've had um, an, an interrupted sort of beginning to this super journey. Uh, where they've had COVID and they've had games postponed. So it sees us in this predicament that they're in now where they have to play three games or six games in the next three weeks. So it's going to be, it's going to test their, the depth of their, their squad. But again, it, it pretty much explains why they rested Danny Twala, I guess. And he's one of their gun players. And I think they, they just injected him at the right time and hopefully um, they got the Blues twice this week on Tuesday and then on Friday, so it'll be interesting um, whether they can sort of 
repeat some of the feats here. And uh, the Blues, will they be going to Eden Park with their tails between their legs or are the Blues going to teach them a lesson or two? Yeah, yeah, good thoughts there. I agree. I'll sort of, I've been 50-50 on that yellow card. I understand what they're trying to do because, you know, concussion is such a massive thing in the game. But you're right. Head on head, that's obviously just some accidental, incidental contact. You know, sort of like you, he's running 100 mile an hour and then you just fraction of a second your head gets in the wrong place. So you can definitely say there's no malice in there. You could end up hurting yourself more if you try to do that. So uh, it was a rough call. And I felt they got a couple of rough calls uh, throughout uh, the game. Uh, for them to overcome that now, you talked about league, and I'm a Warriors supporter. If you go on the Warriors fan page, they say every week the refs are against them and all the rest of it. So I don't want to go into more conspiracy theories from Moana, but yeah, I thought they got some rough calls, and that was just one of them. So for them to overcome that and still pick up the win, you could see it eh, when, when the full-time whistle went, how much it meant to them. So good on them for there. But um, you touched on something really interesting, which I want to go in a bit further, about the depth, because... That schedule, that upcoming schedule is really going to test it. So I think, you know, this is where it gets a bit interesting because their first team with Tawala and Omoa and all these other guns, uh, Stowers and that, I think that first team can match it with um, with anyone. It's how good the second lot of guys are. So there's some guys who haven't played a lot who will be playing this uh, this game this week. Um, Usinia, who we've talked about previously on the podcast, is, I think he's getting a run. Um, D'Angelo, another guy who I'm a huge fan of, is getting around as well. So just I wanted you to sort of, what are your thoughts on the depth? Do you think that they've got enough guys there that they'll be able to manage this uh, next phase? Because this is going to be a crucial phase for Wanda Pasifika, this next uh, congested schedule. Yeah, I guess all that the coaches have is the reputation of these players from the little experience that they've had at super level for the different franchises before Wanda Pasifika, like the Danny Tuala, or even some of these guys that they've only got Mata 10 experience. So you've got, but then you've got guys like Lolangi Visinia who hasn't featured yet for Moana Pacifica. You've got Nico Jones, who's come off a couple of seasons with the Auckland team. Um, D'Angelo from the Magpies. So he's getting a stint. He's going to get some game time on, on, on Tuesday. So I guess it's managing because they've still got a lot of players that haven't had any game time who are biting at the bit to try and, get some, you know, to put up their hand and and to get picked and to get their super debuts underway. But I guess that's where they have to manage it because now they've got a, a cluster of players who have now been the bulk of their, their, their selections and obviously with the attrition rates that they hopefully can avoid, they've got these fresh guys who are chomping at the bit to get, to get a start or to get some game time. So... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we get to see Nico Jones in the next few weeks, in the next couple of weeks, Lolangi Vicinia, um, who can play right across from, you know, I think the centre to wing and fullback as well. And then there's a few young Lucys that will probably get a chance as well. So I, I, I think um, it'll be interesting how they, they do that and how they inject it. So you've got the Blues, real short turnaround now tomorrow night and then Blues again on Saturday and um, if there's any injuries Ray Nuia made a made some impact off the bench as well and he had some good throws in the lineup. so he's now obviously he's a he, you know 
in, within this inexperienced Moana Pacifica team, he's a seasoned veteran because he's, he's had a stint with the Highlanders. He's been with the Blues. So he's coming in with a bit more experience than some of these, a lot of these players. So, you know, those are the kind of guys that you want to sort of rely on. And I think Ray Nuya would be excited to have a go at his old franchise now, um, having been there last year and the year before. So it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, good point you raised there about the opportunity for some of these young guys. And they'll be ready, although I'm not sure if they'll be ready, but they'll be hungry for that opportunity. So I know for Moana Pacifica being a startup, they're sort of getting a whole lot of host of players who haven't played Super Rugby before. And, you know, there's got a lot of doubters. So they're sort of pushing it uphill already to then get the rough schedule due to COVID. You know, it's sort of um, another tough, tough uh, thing for them to to overcome but uh it's going to be an interesting period like i mentioned before because that's going to sort of essentially define their season how they can get through these next sort of yeah. cluster of games and it might be so... tough but i think there was someone uh, in, during the week that posted up an article about likening it to the parallels of the Manusa Moore squad getting very little game time turnaround time at a rugby world cup and I think it's it's a little bit different, you know. It's no one planned it to be this way. It's, it's the best that they could could come up with, I suppose, um, given the circumstances around COVID. So I don't think it was um, preempted for it to be such short turnarounds within um, a short t- uh, time frame for them to play this many games. But it is what it is. They're just gonna have to just get along and deal with it because it could have happened to any team. It just happened to be the Moana Pacifica team that got hit with COVID and. A few games got postponed, and when they said they were going to put it down to later, I was just more worried about my um, Rocky Soliola Cup um, picks as to how they're going to manage all that. Then, <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Do we get to choose these Monarch Pacifica teams players for tomorrow as well as Saturday? I don't know. Is the Rocky Soliola Cup mm. uh, ready for this? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, really good questions there. I might have to check my picks again, uh, both with that information, but uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting. And, I, I do think that they're going to step up. I, I've got some faith in them. And just from myself as being a fan, you know, there's not much to watch during the week, uh, sometimes on TV. So to have a midweek uh, fixture, oh, I'm not really complaining. You know, it's tough on the players. And, you know, it's tough on one of us week in particular because they're the team who got the, the short end of the stick in this occasion. But, yeah, from a neutral sort of fan, yeah, to, to have a game during the week to watch. Yeah, cool. I'll take it. I'll take it. So uh, when you when you look back, and I think the last time we had midweek games was when the French or when the the British Irish Lions were touring, and they had some midweekers there for us to sort of get our teeth into. But I think even going back even to last year, and the way the Mitre Ten Cup is being scheduled now or the ITM Cup as it was before that, is that they do have midweek, they do have short turnaround. So the bulk of these players being from that background have only played Mitre um, 10 or NPC level. They're going to be no stranger to the short turnarounds or having these midweeker games. So I think they're going to be excited because as a rugby player, you, you, you prefer to play rather than train. Training is a, is a byproduct of it, but you'd rather get more excited and, and you get up and going for a game as opposed to training, so to speak, despite the fact that it's a professional game, it's part of their job. But, um, yeah, so it should be interesting to see. They'll be wanting to put up selections and they'll, they'll probably wanting to rest as well. The management are going to be do the best that they can to be smart about 
who plays one week and who plays the next, but at the same time managing that um, the real crucial uh, experience because it can only build for them later on and into the, the later rounds of the competition, especially when they head over to Australia. Agree with all that, Rog. Uh, yeah, so minor parts of are good on them for getting their win. Is there anything else that you saw in Super Rugby throughout the week um, or since our last podcast that sort of caught your eye that you wanted to touch on? Uh, the Chiefs Crusaders, you want to talk about that or should we just carry on with the rest of our, our lives? It's a, it's a slow burn with the Chiefs. So just uh... a... <laughs> yep, nah, carry on. Crusaders were just too clinical. Um, they were able to disrupt the Chiefs' attack and it just didn't seem like my, my son made a mention of how much we miss a Damian McKenzie type player like Caleb Trask at the back there. Um, you know, real safe kind of fullback. Does... A lot of the essentials really well, but you know, someone like uh, the unpredictability of a uh, Damian McKenzie, um, how he can just at a canter, a jog from a jog or standing start, he can he can break a line or makes make a magical play or create something out of nothing, and and maybe a try comes beckoning. So, yeah, I think that kind of a player we do miss uh, Damian McKenzie, but with the players that they do have, I was surprised that Sean Stevenson got. I don't know about he got burnt down. I think there was a, a kick and I think he underestimated the bounce of the ball and then wasn't able to um, follow through and got outpaced, I believe. But Severus impact off the bench, you know, got the players that the Crusaders can can call on as well. So it was a it was a great entertaining game. It was frustrating from a Chiefs perspective because they just couldn't seem to, um, you know, put in the finishing touches that you know, what we become expected of the, the Chiefs. But I think Beaver had a hand in, to play in that um, by predicting that the Crusaders were going to win 13-plus anyway. So, <laughs> nah. I think I think it, it's, it'll be a, a massive learning for uh, the Chiefs, but um, they've got a good squad that can bounce back from that. And especially in the latter rounds, I, I think it'll put them in good stead um, as they make their way over to Australia. But it's been some great encounters between the New Zealand teams, um, it's always these local derbies we've always, especially in the last few years, that's all we've had so far. So it'd be good now that we can um, make our way over to Australia. But the Fijian Drua, man, they're, they're doing really well, aren't they? And um, Another good performance on the weekend. But um, I saw the Queensland Reds, they'll deal to the Waratahs as well. So I think the the Reds and Brumbies are the top two Australian teams. Like they could even be the top two teams um, overall at the moment the with the Blues. Overall. Top two overall, and then the Crusaders are third. So, yeah, but Waratah's yeah, fourth. There you go. So should be interesting. Richard Kahui still trucking along for the Western Forces, and, and Jeremy Thrush as well. A couple of New Zealand, yeah, um, former All Blacks playing their trade in, in Perth. Um, so, you know, some good rugby all, all around. I've been able to watch a bit, but um, good, interesting to see Caleb Clark getting a bit feisty on the weekend. So, but, oh, he's um, good, man. Mm. But, yeah, he's, yeah, I think the Blues have got, and uh, Papali looks pretty good as well, leading that squad around the park. Yeah, the Crusaders, they always have that bounce back factor, so it wasn't surprising from my side. It wasn't so much the Chiefs. I just feel like, you know, whenever they lose, whoever's up next normally gets to take, put, 
uh, gets uh, the receiving end of Crusader sort of uh, lashback. So I'm surprised that the Chiefs actually, I thought they were going to drop down the table. Um, you talked about Damian McKenzie. Like, I can make a legitimate argument that he was their best back for the last sort of two or three seasons. He's gone. Uh, you could probably make a good argument that boshier has been their best forward for the last sort of two or three seasons as well, and he's gone. You take the best back and the best forward out of a team, you sort of think, well, they're not going to be there. Uh, but they're still chug- chugging along and not doing too badly. That one against the Crusaders, uh, we we skipped that week of the podcast because I didn't want to hear your gloating. So, but uh, they 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 still look they still look there or thereabouts. So. Um, you know, well, would that win chance. against the Crusaders in the first round? So, despite them losing this one, I think it still puts them in good stead moving forward. So, it's going to be some interesting, real close encounters as well um, between some of the teams. And with the Crusaders, it just yeah, they just go on with business, and for them to win by the well, I think it was about fifteen points. So, no surprises there. But they just shut the, the Chiefs out and just really made it difficult for them. Um, but Still entertaining game. Uh, still enjoying watching all of the New Zealand teams at least, and the old Australian team. So, but it's going to be interesting to see how it all translates once they all play each other, especially at um, the Super Round in Melbourne. They everyone's going to be converging onto Ami Park, and everyone's it's going to be two games per per day: Friday, Saturday, Sunday. In oh Melbourne. wow! Yeah, that's so, going to be awesome. If you're there. Yeah, it'd be an awesome festival of rugby there. Mate, I just get your thoughts, because we talked a little bit about Australia. What have you made of that? So I, well, you said something earlier, which I sort of elaborated on a, a bit as well. But the top two teams, Brumbies undefeated, and the Reds in second place. Then the Crusaders were always there or thereabouts, and the Waratahs in fourth. So three of the top four teams out of Australia. Now, obviously, they haven't played, we haven't played them, and they haven't played us. So have you made anything of the Australian teams? Are they as good as the table suggests, or...? Is that another false dawn like the Super Rugby Trans Tasman was last year? Well, you've, you've answered your own question, Stacey. So with the the Trans Tasman competition last year, we we found out, you know, the Chiefs come, <laughs> Chiefs fell out of that contention, but, you know, they finished fourth and, you know, they're out of the play because it was just all on points and it didn't really, it wasn't, for me, it didn't justify a, a proper competition because you're only going off, a point system, so you can that take wasn't that the question that I and... asked, but yeah, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, to distinguish, uh, but yeah, the Blues I think once I think <laughs> the the table will really speak for itself once the Australian teams and New Zealand teams have played each other, including Monopasvika and Drua as well, just to get a a true standing of of where they are um, in terms of points, because we've only pretty much only half the table have played each other, and the other half. Have only played uh, with them, with each other as well. So once they've been able to cross over, that's when we'll get a, a more sort of a, a true gauge as to what the ladder should look like and yeah, a true reflection of the competition. Yeah, I suppose one of the weird not to take away of... not to take away anything from the Brumbies or the or the Queensland Reds because yeah. they keep on talking about Queensland Reds, <laughs> Super Australia, Super AU champions. And that's similarly to the Blues. You can say they are the, <laughs> Here we go. you know, trans. They can say they're the Trans Tasman champions. The Crusaders are the Super Aotearoa champions. So you've got three champions, three champions here of three 
null and void competitions. <laughs> <laughs> three yeah. three titles that will never be competed for again. <laughs> That's good. That means the trophy for the Blues is locked away and no one can ever take it. But uh, so this year one of the interesting is the real competition. This year is the real competition yeah. to make up for the last two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's good. I'm still, obviously, from the Blues perspective, I'm still relatively happy. Eh? We've had... We've only lost one game, which was that game against the Hurricanes, which we talked about in our last podcast. The game that they grabbed defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, so we could have been undefeated as well, but uh, you know the games have been close as well. So there have been games where they've won, which they could have easily lost. So then the closeness of the comp. But one of these sort of weird foibles of the draw, the Blues haven't played the Crusaders yet for whatever reason. So I don't know if they're holding up back because they think that that's going to be the two best teams. But, um, yeah, we've played the Highlanders twice. You've played the Crusaders twice. And we haven't played – the Blues haven't played the Crusaders. So, yeah, it's just – I don't know how the draw draw came about and Hmm. how they scheduled that. But I think at a glimpse when I looked at it before the season even started, I don't think everyone plays each other twice. Is it, oh, okay. A, okay. Yeah, so it's not a full round robin. So somehow, yeah, maybe the Blues um, have some people in high places where they've made sure that they don't play the Crusaders. <laughs> We've got a title to defend. We've got a title to defend. <laughs> one of the one of the perks of being the champ, you get an easy draw. <laughs> yeah, nah. So yeah, so that's I guess that's the way it is. I don't think they'll be playing the Australian teams twice either. So well, I guess. We'll, we'll soon find out. Like I said, I only looked at the the draw briefly, but it didn't like it didn't look like a full round. Yeah, no, some interesting thoughts. It's always hard to get those draws right, so uh, and fear for everyone. But um, we haven't got anything else on the men's Super Rugby. We'll have a look at the women's, so then we can talk about the Chiefs in um, a positive note and a positive light. Because uh, they actually took it out. The Chiefs women ended up winning Super Rugby. Old Picky, the first edition ever. But mate, I'll just get your initial thoughts on anything Super Rugby, Old Picky, and also from the Chiefs or the champs. What did you make of it? I all? guess from the last um, pod that we we talked about the Chiefs Manawa team, and when we looked into that the squad prior to that competition starting, and we saw the the, the players that were in in that team, you had. Right throughout, you had, it was a litter of black ferns going from Les Alda, the captain, all the way to Porsche uh, Woodman. And then you also had Chelsea Semple, Stacey Flula. So it was going, always going to be a hard beat for any of the teams because the majority it was a heavily stacked team of black ferns and of experience. First time of, of any sort of competition of the like for the women. So it was a great precursor as they built towards the the delayed Rugby World Cup later on this year. So it'll be interesting to see how much of that this competition has made for them to make a step into the international scene when they come up against the likes of the England, the France. And we saw how it was for them last time, last year on the end of year tour, and they suffered some massive losses. So Putting this in place, hopefully it's a good step uh, trying to uh, close that gap um, or even doing better and trying to put a win on these uh, Northern Hemisphere teams. But yeah, Chiefs Manawa just seem to have 
a bit more punch and a bit more skill and experience. Great competition going forward and hopefully it gets extended because it was a short competition, short, sweet, but exciting rugby from Chiefs Manawa. Even the Blues put on some good... I think they were a bit unlucky in some of the calls in that final. Um, The referee, good experience for the female ref that they had, but there was some... Yeah, some of the... There was a yellow card that a prop, the Blues prop got um, uh, for not rolling away when she wasn't even part of the the ruck and she wasn't trying to impede. I think in the heat of the moment, it looked like it. But when they slowed it down and they showed the replay, it didn't look like it at all for me, for mine anyway. But um, but the school factor, Portia Woodman running freely, bringing it up at the back there and for them to be able to finish, I think it was 35 points that they put on in the end. Yeah, with all that, well, the Chiefs were the, they were quite comfortably the best. And, and that 35, I think that was sort of a disappointing final. You know, it, was, it got through the sort of luck of the draw, ended up being that that was the final. They were able to avoid each other right up until then. So it put some extra spice into that last game, but the Chiefs just really put them to the sword. Um yeah, they just had so much great players throughout that team, and a lot of those Chiefs players will kick on and play for the national team. So um, I agree with you. That was my main criticism: was the length of the competition. It was probably a little bit too short. I understand it's the first time that it's happened, and it's a groundbreaking thing. So you don't want to sort of be up in arms and trying to get it perfect straight away. You understand it's got to take sort of baby steps along the way, and this was a good first step. But I think yeah, going forward they're going to have to um, get a bit more. Um, competition a bit more extend extension in the competition uh, going forward so hopefully they can do that um i talked up who does i talk up renee wickliffe um she was more of an impact player off the bench but she still played good there was a obviously a blues person so i think maya roos i think her name was she played lock for auckland and she was she was bloody awesome and portia woodman as well you mentioned she was bloody good so a few stand-up players there for for the competition, hopefully they kick on. But just um, you talked about the impact that's going to have on the national team. I heard some other news today. So they've got Wayne Smith. Wayne Smith come on board for the Black Ferns women's as a coaching, uh, what is a coaching advisor? And Sue Graham Henry is also going to help out the Black Ferns as well. So two heavyweights of New Zealand rugby um, about to help out. So. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Eh? What are your thoughts just on what difference those two guys are going to make and also the competition? Is that going to, how that's going to unfold for the Black Ferns going forward? Obviously, a bit of crystal ball gazing. But do you see any impact that the competition and, and those two, what they're going to add to the Black Ferns in a World Cup here in, in New Zealand? Well, yeah, well, you'd be hard to sort of deny the impact that a couple of those wise heads would have in relation to any team, let alone the national women's team leading up into a World Cup. And um, I think they'll have a lot to add in the value that they'll bring and just the knowledge, the wealth of knowledge that they will bring to the to, to the woman as they prepare and the management as well. Some pearls of wisdom as to how best to manage their, not only their players, but time and skill as they head into do battle against some of the teams, especially France and England, which they got a bit of a taster and and where they know that there's a massive gap and is there enough time between when they had those games up in the Northern Hemisphere 
to improve enough to be competitive against him at this Rugby World Cup, to even feature in the latter later stages, quarterfinals, semis, final, um, and choosing a squad that best suits that, you know, and who will be able to get the results for this year. And hopefully this competition has been able to bridge that and hopefully getting some experienced heads as Sir Graham and Wayne Smith will be able to just put in those finishing touches and and add to their campaign moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the million-dollar question because I agree with you about the. It's just the time. We, we know how the impact they can have. Um, obviously, what they've done with the all-black men's team. Uh, Graham, uh, Wayne Smith's one of the smartest rugby guys, not just in New Zealand, in the world. You know, he's, he's one of those innovative guys who's always forward-thinking. So, And Graham Henry's record speaks for itself. So it's just, yeah, if they can get it done in the short time frame and the competition as well, what impacts they're going to have in the short to- uh, time frame. I think long-term they might be okay. But can they get it done in time for this next World Cup? It's the million-dollar question. So, yeah, interesting moves and real solid signing. So, you know, if you really wanted to give a boost in the arm for the Black Ferns, you know, you've probably got two of the best guys who can do it for them. So, um, yeah, I've, I'm quite optimistic that they can turn it around. You know, that was a horror show last year against France and England. So I'm optimistic. But we'll stick with that, actually, France and England. But we'll talk about the men's. A little bit. So the Six Nations, uh, you've seen, you've, uh, by chance or whatever, you've tuned into our Six Nations expert the last uh, few podcasts, <laughs> Rog. So <laughs> by default, possibly. But, uh, mate, uh, we know France won. Um, I know that you've got a soft spot for France. So you probably, they probably filled you with a bit of joy there. Uh, the Six Nations, they're looking like a really gun team. Uh, and also Italy, I believe, got picked up a win. But, mate, I'll get you to touch on some of the Six Nations and, and your thoughts on that competition and, and those things I, I just talked about. Yeah, well, just making sure I got the math right with the Italian win is, yeah, 13th win out of 110 games, I believe. And, and that so is shocking, eh? That's, that's a lot of games. And, you know, they've persisted with them being included in – in this uh, Six Nations, there's always been the naysayers saying that they don't belong, that they should have a relegation um, where the bottom team falls out and someone like Georgia comes in and replaces or Romania just to get that exposure because they, Romania and Georgia, they, they float around the, the second tier of Six Nations, so to speak. And so they play against the likes of Portugal, Spain, um, Belgium, and that's that's where they get. But then there's no stepping stone after that. So where does a Georgia who wins that competition easily, where do they go? And so Italy have been able to be a mainstay despite despite such a bad record. And so, yeah, they've only had 13 wins out of not too sure the exact tally. Well, they've been there for a good, you know, long enough to have improved. You know what I'm saying? So that's almost... It's a, a generation of players, or more than a generation of players, who have been recycled out, and kids have grown up watching who could be the next big thing. But for whatever reason, um, they just haven't kicked on. So I, I'm with you. Like you imagine, if Georgia had got those hundred odd games, how much further along they could have been. So it makes you wonder. Eh? Like I wonder if it's sort of 
Italy, they've got, they can get the big crowds, they've got the stadiums, they've got the finance, a bit more financial clout. So I wonder if it's a financial situ, uh, situation more than anything, because if it's a rugby situation, Georgia should be given an opportunity. One of the Six Nations is the richest rugby competition in the world by quite a stretch, and the money that it generates and the revenue that it generates, that that's a massive factor. So I know we're um, probably jumping around a bit, but maybe two or three years ago, uh, Pichot, Augustine Pichot came up with this idea about having this uh, world world club, oh, not a world club challenge, but it's sort of um, a, something outside the World Cup where they had like a, all the nations competing in some other competition. And Have the a Six Nations season. were. Yeah, global, global international season, yeah. Right. And you're getting all these points and they'd have a cup at the end for the best top two teams. And the Six Nations teams were really against it because that would, would ruin their competition, which is their major cash cow. And I think Italy provide a lot of that financial cloud as well. So it does make me wonder if it's a financial decision more than anything. But anyway, I've been sidetracked by some other stuff. But yeah, carry on, Rog. No, and then um, obviously a great result for the Italians. Um, I think in the dying in the last few minutes they named the Welsh winger as the man of the match. Uh, his name escapes me right now. The, Adams, uh, I think no- his name was. Yes, so he gets he gets announced the man of the match. The banner comes across the bottom of the screen, and oh, I just had a quick word to my son about you know this guy man of the match, but yeah, probably not the best tackler defender in terms of wingers or even rugby players worldwide. And then the ball goes to the the fullback, Capaccio, I think his name was, for Italy. He runs one way, then he decides to come back against the grain where the ball came from. First tackler, that, that the first player that he goes past was that winger that's just been named oh. <laughs> man of the match. And then from there, he's able to... Um, Step the the last defender, the other the fullback, and then just he runs away and scores a try, able to bring it around to the underneath the uh, the post just for an easy kick, and then they win. That was the ball game in the seventy eighth, seventy ninth minute, and yep. in Italy get their their first win at that stadium. And the funny thing was, is that it was. Um, Alan Wynne Jones, who had gone off earlier on, um, Alan Wynne Jones on his debut match for Wales lost his debut match for his fiftieth. He lost his fiftieth match for Wales. His hundredth international for Wales, he lost that international as well. He lost his two hundredth match for the Ospreys, his club team, and then having gone off on this match against Italy on the weekend, his hundred fiftieth for the milestone matches, he's lost every single milestone match. So. Was is Alan Wynne Jones? Is he done? Because if he keeps on going for his two hundred, then <laughs> I think he might he might have the legs to last for the the Rugby World Cup. But yeah, crikey, that's a massive gamble. Can they give it to someone that's um, younger blood? Give them experience leading into the next Rugby World Cup, or are they going to persist with Alan Wynne Jones because of his experience, because of his tenacity, him being able to come back from injuries and being so durable? Remember his uh, the British and Irish Lions tour to New Zealand was cut short due to injury mm. as well. So, yep. but he's able to bounce back from that too. So, um, very durable. You know, I guess his experience. He was he was fizzing, but they took him off, and, and unfortunately, his hundred and fiftieth match will go down as a loss as well. And mm. unfortunately, to Italy. 
Well, he'll, he'll be there at the World Cup because we know mm. now, well, just with the sample size, that experience wins World Cups. So England 2003, that was the old, one of the oldest teams and everyone called them Dad's Army, but that experience carried them through. The All Blacks in 2015 was the most experienced All Blacks team they'd ever sent. I think South Africa had a whole heap of guys uh, that, uh, 2019 as well. So experience wins World Cups. So he'll, he'll be there. And Wales, for whatever people think of them, and if you want to consider them a contender or not, is a different story. But they'll, they'll be going there. They're not a team that's going there to make up the numbers. I'll say that at least. They'll have hopes of getting to the playoffs and having a deep run. And if they're serious, which they should be because they're a Tier 1 nation, then they need Alan Wynne-Jones. <laughs> they They've been experience. a Tier 1 nation right from the beginning of the Rugby World Cups, and they haven't made they haven't made a semi. Have they? They've made a semi. No, they have made, made the semi. They've made a semi. That's right. They've made a semi. 2011. They haven't yet to come to a World Cup final. They haven't come to the final, no. They haven't made a final. They should have made it. We talked about this before. 2011 when uh, Sam Warburton got sent off mm. uh, here in New Zealand against France. And they France should have made were lucky to sneak through on that one. But, yeah. But then they only lost by one point, old France, eh? And that's where I'm thinking the French team building nicely for a home Rugby World Cup. Um, and they're going to be the favourite team. They've already been touted as the favourites, just due to their dominance at the moment, their current form. Um, even last year, they were had pretty good, had a good record. And then, just with the players that they've got, you got Dupont as the he's the superstar of the current era at the moment. Is this going to be? They're going to be a bridesmaid again, or are they going to be able to actually go through and and take it out on home soil? Um, it's going to be exciting for the French, and I think there's a lot of expectation for them to um, to be able to pull this one out. And there's a lot of talk that the All Blacks are not going to be able to match them. What say you, Stace? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, France they took it out. They they seem to be now. We've still got a year year and a bit to go so it's always um dangerous to make predictions as early although you made a prediction two months after the last world cup that france would be we're going to win this world cup so um yeah i, I like france. i made a I, prediction I'm, that they're going to win the six nations too the beginning in this hey eh, eh, remember yeah yeah did we put that in a so, tab bit or something or what? Might have, nah nah i don't think so we should have we should have but yeah I, I quite like the look of france um, they've got a gun team. DuPont is amazing. Intermac. The team's really coming along nicely. So, you know, it, it's it's hard to say because when you get to the playoffs, it's just those one-off games. And as all-black support, supporter myself, I know that better than, than anyone. Like, I've seen the, the all-blacks put France to the sword in between World Cups. And then when it comes to the World Cup, they've had a few hiccups. So... Yep. In those one-off games, anything can happen. So France are as good a chance as any. And playing at home, if they can handle the pressure of the home crowd on them, then they can be anything. And that All Blacks France opener, that's going to have massive ramifications for the rest of the tournament. On who ends up on which side of the draw, who gets who in the quarters, and all that sort of stuff. So not not being arrogant, thinking that France and New Zealand are automatically through, even though that's highly likely. But um, yeah, uh, what, what but thing you remember say, the French as well. In 2011, we remember the French had a 
real topsy-turvy journey all the way to the final where there was no way after they lost to Tonga in Wellington that people thought they're going to make make it to the the World Cup final and yet they still did and so and then they turned it on for the final so it's really hard to to get a gauge of how the French French flair as well as French structure and then the way their management works it's you know they 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 don't seem to always stick with loyalty loyalty is not a really big thing with the French they could oust a player they can oust management they can oust a coach within the week so um, it'll be interesting to see how how much they stick with the current crop of players. They've got your Intermax, you got your Duponts, so and the Fiku. So they got you, you got these players in Winnie Atonio. They seem to be liking him at the moment. He fell out of favour for a couple of seasons, and all of a sudden, Winnie Atonio, the the New Zealand-born Samoan giant of a prop that's playing for them now, is 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 back in favour for them. So and so you've got. These players, and again, it depends on the flavour and of and the preference of coaches. But I'm hoping Winnie Atunio is there for the World Cup next year as well. Um, it's good to see him because he's been there for many many seasons now. But you've got a sprinkling of these Pacifica players right throughout, even the Falatels for um, for Wales, and then you've got wingers from Fiji all over the place as well. So will Tulangi be there again for next year's will, will he be at will his body hold out? And I've got this guy who they call the answer for the French, the answer to a Johnny Wilkinson and Marcus Smith. I don't know what you reckon about Marcus Smith, but I know he needs a good haircut. That's all he needs. <laughs> yeah, Jury's still out a bit on Marcus Smith. He's a player of massive potential. Like they've talked him up before he's achieved anything. Is what I think. So, mm. yeah, I just think he's a player with potential at this point. You know, I don't really, really young player. Yeah, good skills, and he just seems to be taking a lot of, you know, a lot onto his onto his plate, a lot on his shoulders. He's got a lot riding on him, um, especially leading into the next World Cup. And for them, you know, at the beginning of the Six Nations, he, you know, they they were talking him up, saying he's the answer. He's the one that's going to be able to. And so they went through a game. I think it was against Ireland with only of scoring penalties and then and Marcus Smith scored the only try. And so, you know, he's for a young person to be able to do that, he's only twenty one. Um, come next year he'll be twenty two, twenty three. And whether you know, that'll be the the make or break will they persist with him as they have done with other players? Um what was the Owen what was it? Owen Farrell. Owen Farrell. Yeah. So they persisted with him despite some of his um, flaws. Um, but a player that expects really high standards from himself, like Owen did, um, yeah, it just seemed like the attitude, especially trying to give him the captaincy. I think he fell out of favour, not only with the management and, and the selection criteria, but also the, the crowd, the fans. Because they, they just thought that Owen Farrell was trying too much, and he and giving him the captaincy wasn't trying, wasn't able to sort of tone down his, his some of his behaviour mannerisms that he was showing on the field. Marcus Smith, he's young. Can he be moulded into be like a Johnny Wilkinson? Is his body going to be able to take the the massive hits from some of the other international players when they start targeting him more? He is new on the scene, so. This year could be very different to next year. He wasn't able to deliver 
with the the Six Nations. So, you know, are they going to still look at somebody else, or are they going to persist with him moving into next year's World Cup? Yeah, it's, it's interesting with Marcus Smith though, because you know, like you said, he's still young. So if he can get through, I I think the next World Cup cycle we'll probably see. Him starting to hit his strips. If he has some good luck with injuries, he continues to work hard at his game. Like he's got, I think he's yeah, he's still got a few things he's got to work on. What you'd expect for a player as young as that. But um, yeah, if he can kick on the next World Cup cycle, we might see the best of him. So I still think it's probably this World Cup. I still think he's their best option at the moment because Farrell has, you know, he got he got old quite quickly. Yeah, he seems to have fallen down from, you know, it wasn't that long ago he was right up there with the best. Um, some of the best players in the world, and now, yeah, he's just um, he's dropped down quite quite substantially, quite quickly. So um, it has to be Marcus Smith. I, I I think he's the best option now. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. But you talked a bit about France getting the win and Italy getting the win. Um, Kieran Crowley, the coach, the Italian coach, he's come out and he's um, well, he says that France are the favourites to win. I think he said Ireland might be the second best team he's seen with his time over the Northern Hemisphere. Then he had a bit of a pot shot at the New Zealanders and he said that New Zealand public, uh, the fans can be quite arrogant and they won't probably think that's true that the the French are the team to beat and the, the Irish will be up there as well. So wait, what did you think about that as some New Zealand-based guys like us do? What did you think about Kieran Crowley's comments about New Zealand fans being arrogant? Do you think there's some truth to that? I think every team's fans are arrogant, and I think um, I, exper- I, I, you know, I could, I could say hand on heart that New Zealand supporters can be arrogant, and and from experience, and you know full well, I was supporting France at the 2011 World Cup. Um, <laughs> Bless for me, mate. Oh, Carry on. Oh, but you know, I was supporting, and then when the way that, like I mentioned, France made their way to the final. Um, after losing to Tonga, escaping and getting away with playing 14 Welshmen and making and, and just winning that semi-final to make their way into the, you know. And they had lost to New Zealand, lost to Tonga in pool play, so and still make the, the, the World Cup final. So unconventional sort of pathway, but they still made it. And, and that being said, because of that journey... New Zealand. I remember New Zealand fans were saying that we're going to smoke the French by 100 points, by 50 points. It's going to be hiding. It's a, it's a given the way this this um, final is going to play out. But it was only one point, and that was just you know that week. And I, I guess it's like anything. Like we can always support our team regardless of how biased we are. Um, there is a I guess an element of arrogance, but it's a sort of an expectation as well. And I think the same way. And Kieran Crowley's, you know, probably been there as a player, but at the same time, is seen from the outset because he, I guess he's, he's well removed from the, the New Zealand environment now and, and from what he sees. And, and you'll see it, whether it be in the form of the New Zealand All Blacks, uh, not putting forward their best selection to play a, a team like Italy or to play a team like, you know, a lower lower team. And I think it's through that where he sees the arrogance as well, as well as um, your supporters. And we it's that massive expectation that we have the All Blacks of being able to beat um, any other team and beat them well. And I think that's why 
there is that element of arrogance, I suppose. So I don't think it's too far off what Kieran Kelly is saying. And I think at the same time how the Welsh, they, they haven't beaten the All Blacks since 1953, and yet they're still considered a foe. A, a, a you know, a major foe of the All Blacks, yet they haven't won or beaten us since 1953. Is that arrogance as well, or is that just them having high expectation of their Welsh national team? Um, the Irish have only beaten the All Blacks twice, three times, I think. Three times and, in the past five, so they've got a, they're picking yep. up a good record against us. They've so got three a, times, a and, three out of the last um, five games they've won. Yep, three out of the last five, and that's uh out of 100 years, 100 plus years. And yep. Bandiaki shares all three wins. He's never lost to the All Blacks. So oh, true. Did not know that. Bandiaki's been in those three games and he's got quite the record against the All Blacks. So um, that's an interesting one to have. Is, is, does he come in with the arrogance? Or do the, the new sort of era of Irish fans, do they have any other expectation but to beat the All Blacks? Because you go back to the Paul O'Connell, he struggled. He never won against the All Blacks. Yet right. you got a guy like Bandiaki now. You know he's never lost to the All Blacks. So that's he'll go down in history if he if he finishes playing soon and doesn't. Um, but three wins against the All Blacks, massive. Even if he goes on and loses another ten, not many people can say that they've had three wins against the All Blacks. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I probably from agree. Australia. <laughs> I, I probably agree with you. I think that you know all all fans. There's some arrogant fans from everywhere. The All Black fans aren't as arrogant as we. I'll put I'll put myself in there as we used to be. So you talked about that 2011 World Cup. It was even worse the year the World Cup before 2007. Is oh, but maybe not worse. But it was sort of on par. I remember it clearly because I had to work that I was on a Saturday morning and they asked me to go into work and I remember just going in thinking, oh yeah, well, well this game's already going to be won. I'll watch the semi-final and the final and I'll just uh, go carry on working. So I got a shock when we lost, but it, that was a real arrogance from me and a lot of the New Zealand public who thought it was a foregone conclusion that we would just wipe the floor with France. I think we beat them a year before that, 2006, and I remember again, 2011, you listen to the radio and you listen to the people around the water cooler. Oh, we're going to kill France. I still had 2007 and 99 still fresh in my mind. So I thought, you know, and Richie McCaw, he, he brought that up as well. He said, you know, France, every World Cup, they've got one outstanding one performance. Yeah. yeah, so 2007, they played against the All Blacks in that, that quarterfinal. 99 against the All Blacks in the semifinal. And that 2011 World Cup, that bumbled their way to the final. And they hadn't played their one amazing game yet. So <laughs> he was, even though he could hear one on the street and on the radio saying, oh, this is over, we've won it. He himself as the captain was saying, hold on a, hold on a second. Has everyone forgotten what France can do in the World Cup and how they've always yeah. got one good game? And they haven't played one yet. Because so. mm. Richie said that the week before the final. I think he said that the week before the final. Don't forget, France have always got one performance in them, you know. That, and so, yeah. Go back to 99, 2007. And, that, and then they go on and lose after that. <laughs> you know, that's their one performance. So, and how close they came in 1987 when Dusha scored that try. But fortunately, we had Tony Woodcock's try. So, it was just... 
I remember thinking I thought we were going to lose when when Dusatwa got that try because France were coming. They were coming real strong. They were they were the stronger team towards the back end of that game. It's just the All Blacks were able to hold on. I remember thinking we we're going to lose, but yeah, just that arrogance. I remember. Well, this is going back a bit, which showing probably how long I've been following the game in my age a bit. But uh, you remember I listened to some talkback, and the All Blacks would get criticised by the fans even if they'd won. You know, they didn't win by enough. Not good enough, they, yeah. Yeah, not good enough. And that's probably when Kieran Crowley was still in New Zealand and hearing a lot of that stuff as well. So I think you're right. I think he's over in Europe. He's a bit removed. The fans aren't as arrogant and as obnoxious as they used to be. But I still think that there's still a bit of undertone of arrogance around that we... But I think it's a good people. arrogance in terms of... Like it's, it's a good... Cause, because of like the expectation, as I was mentioning, because you know, the All Blacks have got the best international record um, across all international teams. And I think it's just trying to live up to that. And you don't ever want to be the, the first All Black team to lose to, to Ireland. And yet that's been and gone now. Deal with it, move on. And you don't want to be the first team to lose to Argentina. That's occurred. And now you move on and... <laughs> I but, think that's you know, part of how the All Black fans ain't arrogant as they used to be. You get humbled through through the team not performing in the the losses. So you you have to humble yourself. You can't be that arrogant anymore when when Ireland and Argentina and these other teams are are, are good now and, and people are catching up. And it's not the All Blacks are head and shoulders above everyone. That's not the case anymore. So you know we're third in the rankings now. When was the last time that that's happened? So. Yeah, I think that you sort of have to be humble. But um, yeah, that yeah. was an interesting take from Cal- from Kieran Crowley anyway. So both partially agreed. But we're just about to finish up soon. We've got our TAB account. So we've got $127 in there. Our last bet, I can't recall what it was. I think your side was okay. My side was might have been the one that let us, let us down. But... Um, Mate, have you got any tips for us? I'll give you a second to think about it, and I'll give you mine. So, mine up us week in the Blues playing tomorrow. A guy that we've talked up quite regularly, um, Anton Senior. He's starting for the Blues at number eight. So, I'm going to pick him to score a try um, tomorrow. So, which means I better quickly get these bets in. But uh, have you got a, a tip for putting $10 on, just for our listeners who are unfamiliar with this part of the podcast? I've got a TAB account. Every every podcast, myself and Roger, whoever else is on, will give a tip, and then we'll do a multi, um, try and win some money back. So, um, yeah, we started with fifty bucks, and we're still in the positive one hundred twenty-seven dollars we've got now. So, yeah, Anton Senior to score a try tomorrow. That's my uh, that's my pick for for the Ooh. rugby ahead. What do you what you got, Roger? Anything that tickles your fancy on the on the betting front? So this is just for tomorrow's game. Just for the um, up till we'll include the, the weekend's game because we won't probably come back until next week at least. So anything from tomorrow or this weekend's game, weekend's games. Danny Twala to score the winning try. <laughs> oh come on, that would have been we would have got real good money in there last week if you chucked in that one. But uh... <laughs> oh, I was waiting for you to call the pod. So <laughs> <laughs> nah, yeah, I reckon Danny Twala. Scoring the winning try. Oh, we'll keep good, do- good odds on that. Yeah, so, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll do a double. Oh, okay, he's picking the Blues to lose. Oh, 
hopefully that doesn't I reckon, happen. I reckon. Yeah, it'll be awesome if the Blues can do back-to-back wins against Monopus. But I have a feeling, funny suspicion, that Monopus figure is going to get win at least one of these games. Okay, well, we'll go. Maybe we'll go with that one. One to pick up one win, at least, and send you to, to at least one to score a try. All right, so that's going to be our bet uh, multi. So hopefully that comes through, Rog. But that's us. We're just about to close up, mate. So uh, we'll get some final thoughts from you, mate. Just uh, in closing our pod for the for the week for the round. No, I'm just looking forward to another weekend of rugby and um, Chiefs. Hopefully, uh, go one better this week. I don't even know who they were playing this week. The Chiefs have got, I think I've got the draw here somewhere. And hopefully Brody Retallick recovers. Oh, yes, hopefully. Is he, what, what happened to him? Chiefs got the Hurricanes on Sunday. Chiefs got the Hurricanes on Sunday, so. Okay. So, Hurricanes. Hurricanes away, I'll say. So, the Hurricanes are in Wellington, so. That might give Hurricanes a bit more. Uh, Hurricanes will be off. tough to beat down there. They're, they've got a lot to prove now after losing that one against Monopasfika. So they've snatched the game, you know, right at the death against the Blues with the Adi Savia try earlier a couple of weeks ago. And now they've suffered the same sort of fate at the hands of Monopasfika. They're going to try and probably want, because they want to be in the best position possible moving forward as they go on to the, play the Australian teams. So it's gonna it's not gonna be easy for the Chiefs to win, but the Chiefs again coming off that loss against the Crusaders, they're gonna probably have a few tweaks here to how better manipulate the defenses. And obviously the Crusaders are gonna be a hard team to beat right across the board anyway. But um yeah, how they can manipulate to try and get some points because they were had a lot of position but just couldn't execute to finish. So here's hoping. Down at the Caketon. Is it still called the Caketon? Sky Stadium? Sky Stadium. Yep, nice there, Rog. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting rounds coming up with Moanapas Week in their um, sort of packed schedule, which we talked about earlier. <coughs> um, yeah, we've got much more to add. Um, go the Blues. Hopefully they can pick up two wins, and then that'll put us right in the mix. So, um, yeah, that's all I really wanted to say. So thanks, Rog, for cu- jumping on. Um, the Counter Ruck is available through the usual podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and there's a few more. There's a lot more. So just keep listening and don't forget to click subscribe uh, for us. So, yeah, Rog, thanks again for jumping on, brother, and sharing your rugby knowledge and your enthusiasm. And it's us. We'll be back again soon. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.